0: All right, please welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. Uh, we are in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Productions. You are here with co-host father and son duo Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing very well. I'm pretty excited about the guests we have on today. Absolutely. So, without further ado, we're going to welcome our special guest today, Aaron McKenzie. Aaron began playing in the USHL as a teenager and later joined the University of Denver, where he played for four years. Notching the NCAA championship title in 2002 and was also named the defensive player of the year in 2003, also while captaining the team in his final year. Aaron began his professional hockey career as an undrafted player, began playing in the AHL for the Wista Ice Cats. He would later play in the AHL game for the number, next number of years while captaining the Peora Rivermen team from 2006 to 2008 and eventually would finally get the opportunity he was waiting for as he made his NHL debut with the Colorado Avalanche during the 2008 and 2009 season and then was rewarded a a handful of games that he played. Following that season, Aaron continued to play professional hockey over the next half dozen years, playing across five different leagues all around the world before officially retiring in 2014-2015. I'm winded. Please welcome our special guest, Aaron McKenzie. Thanks for coming on the show, man.
1: Jim, Andrew, thank you guys for having me on. Uh, It's cool to see a father-son duo, um, sharing their passion with hockey and podcasting. So I'm happy to be here, guys. Thank you.
0: Awesome, man. Yeah, thanks. So, Aaron, we might as well just go ahead and get started. So uh, the first question I wanted to ask was, what was the transition um, from college hockey to pro hockey? You know, I'm talking specifically, of course, that first year in the AHL. Uh, was it hard to adjust uh, maybe to the more, I would assume, more physical aspects in the AHL compared to college, the, you know, the full cage helmets? What
1: was that like? Uh, it was a pretty big transition. Um, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't a real big guy. I wasn't drafted in the NHL. Um, went to St. Louis on a tryout and um, ended up in, in Worcester, Mass, in the St. Louis's farm team. And, you know, the speed of the game was faster. Um, guys were tougher. You know, playing with, you know, a lot of guys didn't even wear half visors in. So, you know, going from a, a full cage to, you know, just wearing a helmet. I took a fair share of stitches my first year, just, you know, not knowing uh, to keep your face out of the way. So, um, you know, it was it was tough, but I, you know, I had some good guys to, to learn from. I had a good group of rookies that came in with me at the same time. So, um you know, it, it kinda,
0: it, it worked out. It, it was, uh, it was a good transition for me. So speaking of, uh, college hockey and just attending college in general, uh, for someone who, who did play at the collegiate level, do you suggest going that route, um, for young players today versus juniors, or would you prefer the opposite?
2: Uh, I would say,
1: you know, obviously I'm a little biased on this, but I would say college hockey is the way to go. Um, Especially now, you know, there's so many NHL kids, and, um, you know, that have went to college route and it's not as, uh, uh obscured of a, a route as it used to be. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know the exact stats on it, but it's probably, you know, there's a high percentage of NHL players that are, you know, from college. So, um, you know but it's it's up to the kid and the family and and how they want to look at it um you know you can get a good education going to play major junior hockey as well too so you know if you if you don't make it in the nhl or play pro after major junior you got an option to go to canadian university or or come back to the u.s if you're an american kid and go to college in the u.s so you know i think it's it's a tough decision because kids have to do it at 16 and 17 years old to figure out which is the best way to go, you know, and I, there's no right or wrong answer and there's no right or wrong way for a kid to do it, but um, just be set on the way you want to do it. And, you know, have maybe your, your goals set out before you, you pick a route and you
0: know, whatever way you go, I think you'll be happy. So was it ever looked down upon at all? Like if you had decided to go and play college hockey back then versus juniors, was, I mean, was that the big thing was junior hockey, just because it's so similar to what they would be playing in the AHL, right?
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, I grew up in Northern Ontario, so there wasn't a ton of guys going to play college hockey. Um, The unique thing about Thunder Bay, Ontario, where I went to high school and, played my junior hockey, they had a USHL team. So it was, it was just a little different route than, you know, say a kid from Red Deer, Alberta, you know, they're, they're probably going to play major junior where I had an option of major junior or playing in the USHL and in Thunder Bay for the Thunder Bay Flyers. And um, I, you know, there was just something about me that I, I wanted to play college hockey and, and I wanted to play in the USHL, and um, I was drafted in the OHL. uh, Had a chance to go down there and play and decided, you know, I'm going to go explore the U.S. and see what it has to offer.
2: Awesome. So you're a product of the University of Denver, which is a really good hockey program. So I'm interested in in why you picked that program, but I also want to follow up with that. And we don't know, so that's why we're asking – it seems like uh, talking to some of the younger players today that it's um, it, it, choosing what hockey program they go to if they have that option to choose is about as difficult as an academic student, you know, if they wanna go to five different universities. So how does a, an athlete uh, pare down those opportunities? And I assuming you had opportunities. If you went to Denver, you had a lot of opportunities. How do you make that decision?
1: Yeah, it was a tough one. I, I kind of have a funny story about it. Um, I was playing in Thunder Bay in the USHL. Um, I was recruited by uh, Denver, CC, North Dakota, Michigan Tech. So I, I had choices and um, I went on. a. So you get five official visits is how it used to be um, to go to schools and check it out, and, you know, see what fits, fits best for you. So I went on my first official visit was to, uh, North Dakota and, you know, being from Thunder Bay, it's just short drive down the road, maybe like eight hours, something like that. So I, I went down there for a weekend, North Dakota played Minnesota, big rivalry, huge game, coolest thing I'd ever seen. Ralph Engelstad arena, you know, packed to the brim, North Dakota wins both games I think there was even a couple of fights. I remember Mike Commodore beating up someone on the Gophers. So, you know, I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. I want to go to North Dakota. You know, I'm, I'm ready to, I'm not going to go on another visit. Uh, This is, this is my choice. You know, so went back home. I thought about it for a little bit and and Denver offered me a visit to come down to university of Denver. So um, got on a plane, flew down here. And I, I think it was January, somewhere around there, middle of January. Stepped off the plane and it was like 65, 70 degrees in January. And I was like, oh, "What the? you know, I'd never been to Denver. So as soon as I stepped off the plane, I was like, I'm coming to Denver. And, <laughs> you know, Denver wasn't the powerhouse North Dakota was at the time. But, um, you know, going to the, seeing the school, going to the campus and, um, I just knew Denver was a spot for me. So, you know, a couple of weeks later I committed to Denver and, you know, here I am back in Colorado. Nice.
2: So, um, you are, uh, undrafted, like you said, uh, from the NHL. So take us through, what was it like to sign your first pro contract?
1: Uh,
2: yeah, it was,
1: it was, a uh, kind of a whirlwind, um, undrafted four years at university of denver had some good years there my my junior and senior year I was, you know had had good years we had some strong teams um and then got an invite to go to st louis's uh rookie camp which was in traverse city that year um they do like a rookie tournament up there with detroit and washington and a few other teams so Undrafted guy just on an invite to go to rookie camp, you know, see if they like you or not. And went up there. Traverse City had a good tournament. Got the invite to main camp. So I was like, okay, well, this is this is going okay. Um, so, you know, go to St. Louis's main camp. Had no no clue what to expect, you know, walking the locker room. I was like, Oh, you know this is nice. I'll be here not very long, but, um, you know, it was a good feeling make it, you know, ha- halfway through camp. They sent me down to Worcester, still no contracts. Um, you know, just kind of playing for, you know, just trying to figure out where I was going to play. And I get down to Worcester, go through their training camp. And then, you know, I had a good camp there, played a bunch of exhibition games, and St. Louis came to the table probably, you know, a week before the regular season and offered me a contract. And, you know, I signed it as quick as I could.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome.
2: <laughs> so um, in your time in, in, in Worcester, and, and I'm from Massachusetts, Andrew's not, but he practically is since he's my son. Um, when you're in Worcester, you had a community service award. Um, you also snagged the seventh player award I, I believe what do you remember about your time in, in Massachusetts? Uh, I, I liked it it was uh, Worcester
1: it was a good town like kind of a sneaky sneaky little spot not too far from Boston so you know we'd hop on the train at times and shoot into Boston and do all that stuff and um, but Worcester the ice cats they were involved with uh, a bunch of middle schools and high schools so there was there's a lot of opportunity to kind of get involved in the community there and I, I kind of jumped at that looking looking back at it you know maybe I I did it to you know kind of make a mark for myself but at the same time I just wanted to be involved and um, so, you know, I, I kind of reached out in the community that way. And, um, you know, I haven't been back to Worcester since I played there, but, you know, I would kind of love to go back and played with a lot of Boston guys and guys that kind of made you feel at home. So, you know, it was a, it was a great place for my first couple of pro years.
0: So you obviously um, lived the ultimate dream of making it to the NHL and, and especially as an undrafted player. So Can you take us through that moment, whether it was you first arrived in the locker room or that phone call? What was that first moment where you went like, oh, my God, like I made it, made it to the NHL. I did. I did it.
1: Yeah, you know, I can't even. The one thing that I kind of remember is. uh, We were on the road, I, I was playing in Lake Erie, so I was in the American Hockey League playing in Lake Erie, which was. Colorado avalanches, uh, farm team. And we were on the road playing in Milwaukee. Um, it was getting close to the end of the year. And, um, we played in Milwaukee. We won that game. My brother was going to school at, um, Wisconsin, superior Wisconsin. So he, he drove down, watched the game in Milwaukee and, you know, I, I was going to go meet him out by the bus after the game. Um, the GM for Lake Erie grabbed me, you know, I was walking out and he's like, Hey, grab your bags and stuff. You're, you're going up to Colorado. And I was like, Oh, you know, I was all pumped up. And, but it was the coolest part was I got to tell my brother first. Um, so, you know, that was pretty sweet. And, uh, so that, that was cool. And then, you know, calling my dad and, you know, from there I flew to Vancouver, which were, is where I played my first game. So, uh, going back to Canada and playing in the Canadian city was, you know, was awesome. And I, I think I was 28 or something at the time. So it had been a good, good grind. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, it was really cool.
2: Yeah. Well, that must've made it sweeter. Like I said, I mean, you know, you're, you're paying your dues and, you know, you get your, your big chance. Do you, um, do you remember any moment during the game? Maybe it was you're sitting on the bench that you go, you know, wow, I made it like, and you were able to kind of take it in for like 10 seconds. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. I, I remember one of my first shifts, uh, Matt Sundin was playing on um, Vancouver. You know, he was getting close to the end of his career, but I was a Toronto Maple police fan my whole life. So, you know, I, I have really good memories of Matt's and um, he was standing in front of the net. I was standing behind him and, uh I can't remember One of the Vancouver's players passed it out front to him and I tried to lift his stick and you know Matt's is six five or whatever he is, 240 and didn't even didn't even budge his stick. <laughs> well, luckily the puck luckily the puck kind of hopped over his stick and I get back to the bench and I sit down and the defensive coach comes down, uh Jock Clouche, and he's like, You cannot lift his stick. It, he his stick is heavy in wow. this French accent he says that and he's like you have to do some some other way to to stop that pass I was like I, you know that was kind of a I still remember it to this to this day so wow. you know, that was a, yeah
0: so regardless if you played a handful of NHL games or one or 500 you accomplished something obviously many people will never be able to say they did so Really, I mean, take me through what are the sacrifices and that grind that, I mean, young kids don't see, you know, behind the scenes that, you know, maybe that's something they should work on. You know, I mean, were you able to live a normal teenage life, have friends, party? I mean, what, what was the sacrifice you had to make?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I grew up in a small town called Terrace Bay, Ontario. Um, it's about 2,000 people. So I lived a normal, yeah, it was a great place to grow up. Um, you know, there there wasn't much to worry about um, It was a paper town, everyone knew everyone, but there was a point in my path where I had to choose, you know, going to play hockey at a higher level or staying in Terrace Bay and, you know, kind of seeing where things went away from hockey. So, you know, at, my freshman year of high school, I, I moved away from home um, three hours up the road to Thunder Bay. Um, but I would, you know, I would ride the Greyhound bus back and forth. And there was, yeah, it was, it was challenging at times, you know, living with a different family or living with a billet family. And um, I had to take freight train one time. Um, oh, so, yeah, my, my uncle works for CP Rail. And the roads were shut down, uh, because of a snowstorm. So he, he threw me on the freight train on like the the second, second engine, you know, I wasn't sitting in a box car or anything, but, um, you know, so that that's shapes who you are at times, you know, the sacrifices of, you know, getting on the Greyhound bus on, you know, Friday night, driving back to your hometown, getting back on Sunday night, going back to high school. Um, but I had great people in Thunder Bay to support me. I had my family in Terrace Bay, my mom and dad. So, um, you know, looking back, it seems like it was a sacrifice, but it's kind of what I wanted to do. And, you know, it's, you know, just kind of where, where you end up. So, um, you know, it it might be hard, but you know, there's always some sacrifices and, whatever you're doing. So, yeah. um, you know, you just gotta, you know, keep pushing on and, and enjoy what you're doing. Absolutely.
2: So do you think, uh, what's your opinion on the game now where, uh, it seems like you're starting to have these highly specialized players and everybody sort of has a defined role. Was that, uh, what you found when you were playing or were there more multi-dimensional players that you used to play with? Um, I enjoy watching hockey now.
1: Um, I, uh, I watch a lot of it. Uh, my wife doesn't always love that, but (laughs) you know, I I, I try to watch as much as I can. I think the, the players are so skilled and, um, you know, the, the knowledge of the game and I feel like maybe the skill levels higher nowadays, but, there were still skilled guys back in the day. Maybe they didn't have one piece sticks or, you know, best skate sharpenings or, you know, so I don't think the game is all that different. I, I don't know. Some people will probably not agree with me, but, you know, even when I was playing, I guess it was a 15 years ago or something you know, there was skilled defensemen that ran the power play and that's all they did. And, you know, maybe some of the fighting stuff's out of the game now, but, um, you know, there's still guys in the NHL that are fighting and there's, there's still stuff that happens because of intensity, you know? Um, so, you know, I enjoy the game. Um, I love where it's going. Um, everything's got to evolve. I I watch a lot of golf too. And people complain about how far these guys hit it. You know, they're still competing against each other. You know, they all hit it that far. So.
2: um, I I often wonder if it's, if it's starting to be a little overcoached. We had Jeff Omer on a few weeks ago and, you know, he he played all over the world, but he ended up uh, most recently being like a special skills coach for Arizona. And, um, you know, he was kind of talking about it seems to be a coach for everything and even like guys that are that are scouting face off scouting, um, you know, anything and everything. And it almost and I asked him, is it to the point where it's almost over coached that the players are almost afraid to do anything without some sort of coach going down their throat? And is there miscommunication between coaches? What was your experiences with that? Um,
1: I think some of the stuff being overcoached now might relate to video and, you know, everything that you do on the ice is on on video. It's probably, it's kind of like football, right? Like, yeah. Um, you know, back 10 15 years ago, video wasn't very good. Um, it wasn't very much of it. So, um, but you still see a lot of creative stuff, where, you know, maybe was it Jeff Omer? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, him being a skills coach, bringing his creativity into the game. You know, and and that's it's nice where you have some older guys that you know can add that little touch of creativity or something. Yeah. Something different that's not so structured all the time. Um, you know, which um even back in that day when when I was playing in the American Hockey League, it probably was boring to watch at times because I felt like we'd go D to D and then just slap it up the boards and someone would chip it in, and then two guys would go and run that defenseman. And <laughs> so yeah. you know. Yeah. It, So it's changed that way. And, um, so I don't know, it's hard to say things are overcoached, but maybe the video aspect. And I, once I left the game, I didn't really, you know, get into coaching or scouting or anything. So, um, I just like watching it on TV and I like to see the creativity of guys like Matthews or, you know, Panarin, Panarin. I love watching Panarin a lot. Um, guys that think the game in, in different ways. You know, maybe some of the European guys that think it like soccer a little bit, where they're give and go, or they use their feet, or they use their bodies a little bit different. That a kid in Minnesota, that Russian kid. Um, you know, McDavid obviously, and Dryside. All the you know, those guys are just. I like watching those guys and oh, yeah. seeing oh, yeah. how they can, you know, ad-lib something and make something happen out of nothing.
0: Absolutely. So who was the toughest player? When I say that, I don't mean in, in fighting aspect-wise, but who was the toughest player to play against on the ice?
1: Oh, toughest guy to play against on the ice. Um Well, you're making me think hard here, guys, and <laughs> and, and use my memory a little bit. Um, I don't know. I played with Dominic Hasek in, in Czech Republic, and uh, he didn't even let pucks go in the net in practice. So, um, he, you know, he would just outthink you and, you know, Put your mind in a pretzel sometimes but like what he was doing and so he you know he was a tough guy to play against um obviously i played against him in practice um you know in the american league when i first started coming in there there was a lot of guys that just they they played hard they did whatever they had to do that night to you know get a look to get a call up um you know being a defenseman, it was. Never real fun going back for pucks, you know, playing in Providence or Wall or Hartford or, yeah. you know, so some of those places. You knew you were going to get your nose smashed against the glass. So um, I would say the top, uh, the bottom three lines in Providence and Hartford, you know, playing against those guys every night.
0: <laughs> so obviously, right now the hot topic around hockey Twitter was it a Tom Wilson incident that happened on who you're just talking about Panarin and the Funkovic and everybody involved. So with that whole situation being said, do you believe fighting still has a place in the game? Or do you think that this was just a bad luck for the New York Rangers guiding get suspended, move on? Or do you think that that's something the players should police? Um,
1: I, you know, what, I, I was thinking about this a lot today. I saw a lot of stuff on like Twitter and whatever it is and they're they're probably playing right now so um
0: and i think they called the guy up from the ahl too they're you know supposed tough guy so i was curious just you know what your thoughts were on
1: that yeah i think you know there is a code i guess and unless you really play you don't really maybe grasp how it's gonna play out you know i I was talking to my wife about it last night she's like well they shouldn't play Tom wilson I'm like, no, they probably should. Uh, just, you know, he, if someone wants to fight him, you know, Tom Wilson will oblige him and he'll fight. Um, and
2: you and know, he knows, it, he knows it's coming, right? I mean, yeah, he knows he knows far it's far. coming. Knows. And
1: you know, even if Tom Wilson wasn't as tough as he is, he would still know he would have to fight, and he would. You know, so it's just. You know, maybe there should have been a suspension, maybe. But it's it's hard when the NHL is the, you know, you got one guy and the supplemental discipline side of things making the call. It's his opinion. You know, should the players all vote on it? I don't know if he gets suspended or should he get fined more than 5000 bucks? maybe. I don't know. Maybe, right. but things like well, that I, happen, you know. I think Panarin maybe jumped on his back. Maybe that, uh, uh, I don't know if he should. Right, right, right.
2: Wilson's done a lot worse. He's he's that type of player. I mean, he, you know, he just we the players that we talked to that were enforcers. Um, you know, they they talk about like a switch. When that switch goes on, that's it. They go crazy, and then when it's over, it's over. And it seemed like Wilson just clicks a little too much too often because he's a pretty skilled player oh yeah he's a great player
1: um i think a lot of it is survival mode you know you get into that fight or flight and you know you can't really go anywhere so you probably if someone jumps on your back you know if it happens on the street you probably turn around and you might do the same thing so um yeah there's probably there's Guys that fuses are a little shorter than others, obviously. Um, So it's, yeah, it's a fine line. And obviously they probably want some of that stuff out of the NHL now,
2: Yeah,
1: but I don't think it'll go anywhere unless they start handing out fines like, you know, 150 grand for fighting or something that really affect, you know, 5,000 bucks
2: that's right. not going to
1: affect, affect much, you know? Right. So, right. you know, unless they really start cracking down like on guys paychecks or whatever, you know, 40 game suspension or something like that.
0: And that, and that's um, up to the NHLPA, right? Like the, like the maximum fines they can pay and stuff.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so that goes back to the players, right. you know, saying we don't want fine, <laughs> we, we don't want high fines. Yeah, but you know, so then the stuff's gonna kind of keep happening. Right. So you know, it's
0: it's almost like you have to police yeah, yeah, anyway. Then, I mean, yeah, it's a give I, or take.
2: You know, but so, I, you know, I mean, I I don't want to go up against Tom Wilson. You couldn't pay me millions of dollars to go up <laughs> against that guy. I, I value my face a little bit more than that. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah, sure but, it I, um, you
1: know, Panarin probably didn't even think that. He saw his buddy get punched in the back of the neck or whatever, and he's like, well, you know, I, I've done it before. I'm not big guy. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be stupid, you know, and <laughs> I'm probably going to get my nose punched in and, you know, sure as heck I did. And,
0: yeah.
1: You just do it because you know, you're you want to be sticking up for your group of group of brothers that you're with. And yeah. so, you know, it, and then things kind of get out of control, you know? Yeah. There's no tur- turning it back after everyone starts chucking guys on the ice and gloves are off and there's only yeah. two linesmen out there and the rest are just standing there. So, <laughs> you know, it's not as bad as it used to be, I guess, you know? Yeah,
2: no,
0: and no that's what I mean, yeah, yeah.
2: you know, we, we, we had on, uh, uh, Darren Banks who you know, the early nineties was, uh, came up for about 20 games for the Bruins and, and he was a fighter and he says he was a fighter, but you know, he would, uh, you know, he'd talk about, you know, he'd purposely, you know, he'd, he'd take runs at the stars just to get on the stat sheet, just to get under the skin and do what he had to do. And, um, uh, uh, We're actually live in Tulsa, even though I keep mentioning Massachusetts. So we we go to the uh, ECHL Tulsa Oil Games a lot. Uh And we even see uh, a lot of the guys kind of taking runs at other guys just to kind of stay on that team. Um, And I'm sure in your AHL career, you had a bunch of, you know, East Coast League guys trying to stay in the AHL and start running players just to run them.
1: Oh, yeah, it's, you know, it, you get an ECHL and you're living week to week. You know, you can be cut at any time. You can be let go and, you know, you're not making hardly any money to begin with. You're, what you're playing for is that next opportunity or that next chance to go to the next level. So, you know, yeah, you might do something that will, Maybe hurt someone, but it might, you know, you might stand out to, so you know, Brian Burke or something who yeah. wanted to see something mean or crazy or whatever it was, you know. So it's a uh, it's stressful at times because you're you're on an audition every single night. You know, you play three games at three nights. Sunday night, there could be six scouts there, and you you. You better not roll over and have a crummy game, because you know someone's eyes eyeballs are going to be on you. Yeah. And, um, so you know you might have to might have to find a way to, to do something that night. Um, and just with the the stress level that those you know, there's the high end guys in the NHL that I'm sure they have a high stress level too to perform at their level, but. You know, those guys on the cusp of ECHL, AHL, AHL, NHL, NHL, going down to AHL, you know, it's it takes its toll mentally, you know, yeah. just to be ready to do whatever you have to do.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So then excluding the Japanese league you played for, because we do have a follow-up question just for that, but can you take us through your experiences in both the Czech and the Austrian league that you played for and maybe, you know, the differences maybe between like skill set or how the games played. Cause I know in some uh, European countries, they have like, I know, smaller ice and everything. So what was the difference between that Czech and Austrian league? Yeah. Dominic Hasek, that's the difference.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, the the Czech Czech league was, was highly skilled, very fast league. Um, Not a lot of North American players um i think it was myself uh two other boston guys uh jeff Jeff jillson and adam pino um were on that team and you know we were kind of like the the fringe guys almost you know where sometimes in europe you go over to europe and you're kind of like the star cult player right um we had a really good team we were really really deep we had you know, Hasek was our goalie. Um, we had a few other guys that had played in the NHL, a few Czech guys that had played in the NHL. Um, it was – it kind of opened your eyes to how maybe a European feels when they come to North America is how I felt when I went to Czech, you know. Yeah. yeah there's not a lot of English being spoken, so – um, the coaches didn't really speak English. Yes. It, I was going to ask,
2: like, you have having a team meeting. I mean, what do you do? Just sit there and smile? <laughs> yes, <laughs> seriously.
1: Yeah, you sit there and, you know, there one of the coaches kind of could speak a little bit English, so he would translate to us. And um, there's a, you know, Hassa could speak English, so he would help us a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, so it made you feel, Uh, a little bit for how the European guys probably feel when they come over to North America and their eyes are wide open, like, Oh, wow, this is, you know, this is a lot different. You know, the game's different. Plus the language is different, the culture, the food, the street signs, the money, every you know, everything's different. Yeah. So, but we had a really good team. We ended up winning the, the Czech extra Liga championship that year. I was about to
2: ask, you guys won the championship, right?
1: Yeah. 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 So,
2: it, it, did Hassett do anything uh, that was completely mind boggling like he did in North America? Um, or was, it, was it just easy for him? He was just kind of had a <laughs> coffee and, you know.
1: <laughs> no, we, we had a good regular season. Um, we didn't fin- like we finished maybe third or fourth in the league. First round of the playoffs, we, I think we were playing at home. Um, and we, we got beat like five two, um, and we you know we all came in the locker room. and Hasek got up, he like, said a whole bunch of stuff in check. you know. And I asked one of the guys that could speak English. I was like, "What? what you know, what was he saying?" You know, he and the guys like, "Well, we're not going to lose another game. All playoffs is what Hasek said." And then we went on to win twelve straight games. Yeah, win the amazing. whole thing and you know we won some overtime games but hasik was lights out like you could he was just you know flopping around and windmill <laughs> saves and yeah yeah he, yeah he was and he was 46 at the time so wow you know yeah wow yeah.
2: well andrew wants to ask this but it uh, it's written down for me to ask this so uh, what was the hockey community like in japan and I know you weren't there very long, but what, what was that like?
1: Uh, surprisingly, there's a great hockey culture there. It um, wow. goes back pretty far. Um, you know, they had the Nagano Olympics in the 90s, I guess. I think they had another Olympics back in maybe the 60s or something. Um, but the Japanese, people they're so friendly. They're just like accommodating. Super nice. The, the town I played, like a lot of the guys didn't speak great English, but they would go out of your way to help you for anything you needed. Um, our coach, his name was Chris Wakabayashi, and his dad played at Michigan back in like maybe the 60s when Michigan was a real powerhouse. His name was Mel Wakabayashi. And so like one of the best – players that ever come out of Michigan. Uh so, you know, there there is a deep hockey culture in pockets. You know, Tokyo you go into Tokyo, it's it's just mayhem, you know, most people don't know about hockey. But I was kind of up north on the main island. And then you go over into uh Hokkaido, which is the island north of the main island, and you know, really good hockey culture up there. So And the players were good, like great skills, you know, maybe, maybe thought the game a little different than in North America, but, you know, I had a blast playing over there. It was, you know, we only played like 40 games. So I got to travel around a
0: lot. Yeah. So, so so was, was the uh, NHL popular there, or was their hockey cult more so their Japanese league?
1: Um with the guys on the team, they, they followed the NHL pretty hard. Um, And then, you know, in the town, you know, we would get three, 4,000 fans to a game and um, you know, they would bring their drums and, you know, you know, have some cheers, but there was a section of the crowd that would just kind of sit and kind of clap nicely. If, you know, you, you scored a goal or, (laughs) you know, they're they're very, like really knowledgeable and, um, you know, you weren't getting a ton of like NHL highlights on TV or, and I or didn't yeah. watch a much of TV over there really just cause.
0: Can't uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, So, um, but so, yeah, it was just a good hockey, hockey experience for me all around.
2: Awesome. So you were uh, captain in, in Peoria and also in Denver when they had the, the short lived uh, cut throats. So what does it really take, Mentally and also leadership-wise, to be a captain in the locker room, what makes a good captain?
1: Uh, I think you just have to be yourself. Um, you know, if you got to call someone out and maybe hurt someone's feelings, or call yourself out. And you know, you you just gotta you got to speak up and, and call a spade a spade. And you know, if you didn't have a good night you know, step up and say, hey, I can be better. Um, Or, you know, if our top player with cutthroats didn't have a good night, you know, not saying he needs to score goals or whatever, maybe he missed a back check or could have been more responsible in his own end or something. You know, I think it's just being yourself and
2: being original, like, you know,
1: not trying to be fake or, you know, be a raw, raw guy all the time.
2: Shane so. Shane, um, Shane Corson told us a story of, of how he actually got kicked off the bench in Montreal by Pat Burns. Cause he, he slammed, he was, he thought he was short shifted too much. He slammed the bench too many times. So the coach told him, you're done, take off your stuff. And he had to leave right in the middle of the second period and Larry Robinson the captain actually had to save his ass by talk, talking to the Jim, coach. Jim, can you
1: start that one over,
2: maybe? Yeah, yeah. So um, Shane Corson tells us a story of how he was kicked off the bench in Montreal by the coach, and um, the uh, the team captain Larry Robinson had to go to bat for him, or he would have been kicked off the team. So did you have to ever have to have a talk with a coach to say, hey, you know? You go easy on this guy, or give this guy another chance, Jim. You kind of cut out, but I think
1: I got the gist of your question there. Um, I, my when I was captain in Denver, you know, we had a couple of guys that didn't love to go to class all the time, you know. So there was a couple of times, and they're important pieces to our team, and um, you know, where I had to go to the coach and. You know, he maybe wanted to suspend him or kick him off the team or whatever, and go to the coach and, you know, just be like, okay, I'll, I'll escort him to class in the morning and yeah. sit him in his seat and, you know, make sure he brings a banana and he's not falling asleep. Oh, you know, so I think that's where you're
2: going with that one, Joe. Ex- that's exactly where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So and
2: we hear stories too of, um, you know, the coach might be talking in the locker room and all the players' heads are down. The minute the captain speaks, everybody's head pops up and they start listening. I don't know if that's been your experience. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, and
1: I guess guys are chosen to be captain just, you know, maybe because of their character and guys respect them and some of the leadership stuff they do on and off the ice. So a lot of times it things are more impactful if it comes from a player. Um, It doesn't even have to be the captain, you know, if it's a third line guy and he doesn't talk a whole lot and then he steps up and says, Hey, uh, you know, this playoff run means a lot to me. It's, you know, it could be my last year could be, you know, I might not have a job next year, you know, guys feel that more than, you know, the coach coming in and, hooting and hollering about this and that you know there's times where when the coach comes in uh, guys listen Um, but there's definitely spots where guys who pick their spots to talk or speak up or call someone out or um, get emotional in the locker room and you know it, it goes a long way
0: Absolutely. So Aaron, before we close out, we always close out our shows with the lightning round questions, which my father will explain right after this, but um, you know, for our listeners, tell us now what you're doing now. And I know right before we started the show off the air, you had mentioned a charity that you've been involved in in Colorado. So can you tell us what you're doing now and something about that charity?
1: Yeah. So now I work for strike orthopedics. I sell total knee and total hip replacement um, parts. So, It's, I've been there like seven years and kind of fell into the job through a hockey buddy, Um, just a relationship from University of Denver. And um, so that it's, it's been a fun job and it's not, it's not hockey, but it's, uh, I'm on my, on my feet every day. And I'm, you know, I don't sit at an office and sit at a desk all the time. So, you know, it keeps me, keeps me sharp and You know, you got to think on your feet. So that's been fun. Um, Also involved with a a hockey charity in Colorado called Dog Nation Hockey. Um, They've been around for probably about 12, 15 years. And their main goal is to give back to um, men's league hockey players um, that have come on hard times. If it's you know a tragic event of you know losing a house in a fire or a death in the family or an illness or um, you know they they rallied the hockey community in Colorado um, they got a huge following in Colorado they have a they have a mentally hockey tournament that you know they they hand out checks to the individuals that are in need of uh, some support and um, you know it's an amazing amazing weekend i think last year at, at this dog nation hockey tournament there was like 40 current and former nhl players playing in the tournament uh, so that's awesome. yeah it's it's grown it's it's only going to get bigger um so it's d a w g that's how you spell dog so dog nation hockey um so check it out
2: yeah cool Uh, does the avalanche have an alumni team and if so are you part of it
1: yeah they do have an alumni team it's uh it's been it's been growing um I have been a part of it for the last few years uh we do a bunch of events a couple charity games up in up in the mountains raising money for some youth programs up there a really good group of guys there's a lot of X abs guys or X NHL guys that that want to live in Colorado. So, um, yeah. you know, it's it's fun to get together with those guys and skate. Um, you know, they, they don't miss too many passes. Some of these guys still, you know, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> like I think Hayduk's out there, and every time Hayduk's out there, I'm like, God, it, if he had two good knees, he'd still be in the NHL. Like, wow, <laughs> he could score goals. He makes people look goofy. So, awesome. but a, a great group, great group of guys, and it's just fun to get back in the locker room and tell old stories, and then just wow. go on the ice and zip the puck
2: around. Awesome. So we're gonna uh, finish up by doing a lightning round question. So we're gonna ask a fast question. You don't have to answer fast. If you've got a story, you can tell a story, or if you just want to answer the question in one or two words, you can do that. Well, we're, going come, we're going to come at you. So, here we go. Who is your favorite line mate to play with?
1: Uh I would say maybe going back to DU, I played with a guy Jesse Cook. Um, we were D partners together. Uh, big, big, tall dude, and didn't say a word. He just great player though. He played pro after and. Um, he was awesome my first year pro i played with terry virtue who was on the podcast not too long ago yeah uh learned a lot from him the one thing i did learn um first game sitting on the bench he said if the puck goes in my corner you go get it if the puck goes in your corner you go get it So I always remember that one from Birch, you know, (laughs) he's like, I'll be standing in front of the net. (laughs)
0: Wow. Um, The player that got under your skin the most.
1: Um, There's a guy in Providence, Brendan Walsh. Um, He was, he was pretty good at being a rat. Um, Yeah. That's maybe him. Uh, I played against a good buddy of mine, Kevin Dole. He played for the Chicago Wolves. We'd always, you know, we were roommates in college, but we'd always kind of go at it. (laughs) You know, we were really good friends and we're still best buddies. And, you know, I'd cross-check him, he'd slash me in the ankle, or you know, just yes, right. just stupid stupid stuff being buddies, yeah. but kind yeah, of yeah, giving it to each other. <laughs>
2: yeah. Okay. Uh, uh besides <clears throat> Dominic Cassick the toughest goalie to play against.
1: Um. Hmm. Well, I had a goalie in college, Wade Dubowitz. Uh just a high hockey iq not very big but um you know he would he would just give you a little spot and you'd shoot it there and you know you'd look up and he'd both his pads are just right there i'm like you know how how's that possible yeah. but you know he he was probably and he he had a good career after. He wasn't very big, but his ho- his hockey IQ was, was pretty through the roof. Awesome.
0: Um, favorite arena that you've played in?
1: Um, I'd probably say Magnus Arena at, at DU. Um, awesome. My freshman year was the first year of the rink. Um, and little known fact, my very first college shift, uh, puck squirted it out to me at, at the point, And I just floated one in there and it went in the net. And that was the first goal at Magnus arena. Oh, nice. oh wow. I, I want to say the senior senior, his name was Joe Ritson. I, I want to say he tipped it, but he never took credit for it. Um,
2: <laughs> you'll take it. So, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. So I'll, I'll take it. And I, you know, I, I was like, well, first, College shift scored a goal. I'm like, this is, you know, maybe I'll win the Hobie Baker this year. This is, gonna, yeah. this, is this is gonna be easy. Yeah. And then uh, you know, it took me a year and a half to score again. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, halfway through my sophomore year it was my next goal. So wow. <laughs> it wasn't so easy.
2: Good what was <laughs> the worst arena that you played in? And and we'll we'll say your pro career, not uh, juniors or anything like that. Uh
1: Oh, probably in the Czech Republic, there was just a couple that were <laughs> pretty, pretty sketchy. There was, uh, well, Kladno, place that Yager plays or owns or
0: whatever. Oh, okay. Uh,
1: they they were in the they were in the top league at the time, and that place was just like a slab of concrete. And I remember walking in for my first game. Walking down the hallway, and I see like five cats just running down the hallway, just like stray cats in there. They're probably there to catch the mice, but um, you know, there's no seats, the fans just stood the whole time, really. So, yeah, yeah, so (laughs) comfortable. No, it wasn't comfortable.
2: What, uh, what's the craziest or funniest thing to happen to you during a game?
1: Um. Maybe not to happen to me, but in, in Cleveland, in Lake Erie, uh, in the AHL, we played uh, like a breast cancer awareness night and they they painted the ice pink. Um, so, you know, we had pink jerseys. It's going to be a huge crowd there that they're like sold like 14, 15,000 tickets. And we went out for warm up and as soon as you stepped on the ice, every guy was, like, falling down because the paint was coming coming through the, you know, however they painted the ice wasn't right. So they tried to get the Zambonis out and scrape all the paint off, but they ended up having to postpone the game. Really? And, you know, so that, that was crazy. Someone didn't think that through too well, and um, that was a big boo-boo on their, their part. And I had another, another one in, in Cleveland, too, actually. there was uh, they, they would always do promotions and stuff like that in, in the AHL or in the ECHL. And One of the nights they had uh, bring your dog to the game um, night. Oh. And I was fine with it, you know. Uh, but one of the guys, uh, after pregame skate, he went into the coach and he's like, I, you know, I can't play tonight. And the coach is like, what do you mean? I, you can't play. He's like, well, I'm like deathly uh, allergic to dogs. So he yeah. basically had, he had to scratch himself from the game. Wow. Probably sat at, sat at home and listened to it on the radio or something. And
0: uh,
1: yeah, so he didn't play that game. And-
0: yeah, I wonder if they just scratched that promotion knife. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: <but Yeah. laughs> I'm, I'm never a fan of marketing people myself, yeah. but, but you're right. You know, we, we have that in Tulsa here in the, in the East coast league. It every every night's a, you know whatever gets somebody oh, yeah. to come out. Yeah. So but there's so, some fun ones. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that teddy bear toss seems to be like a yeah. tradition now. So everywhere. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a winner that one. Yeah.
0: yeah. So Aaron, to wrap it all up, and I know that this is a broad question. There's probably multiple answers, but just the first thing that comes to your mind, favorite memory from your playing career.
1: I would probably say my, my time at DU. Um, Okay. You know, the guys you spend four years with, uh, you know, the guys that were in my class still talk to pretty much all of them. Um, You don't really ever, you know, especially in pro guys come and they go and it's, you know, there's a lot of change of scenery. So I would just say my, my college experience as a whole playing with you know the guys in my class still going on trips with them hanging out with them in the summer they all live all over the place but we always try to get together and um, meet up once a year and you know there's not really a time like college I guess and yeah you know be able to play hockey with those guys for 40 years and ups and downs and fights and fighting each other and <laughs> so you know it, that's probably my you know the part I think about the most.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Aaron, we can't thank you enough. Um we're going to pause the recording to say goodbye off the air, but officially we want to thank you. This has been a blast for us and uh, we've enjoyed having you here on the podcast.
1: Thank you guys so much. Thanks Jim, thanks Andrew and you know, I love what you guys are doing. Keep growing the game and you know, it's kind of cool that father-son
0: duo, I love it.
2: Absolutely. Thanks, man. All right, hang on one sec.
0: All right. Well, there you have it, Aaron McKenzie, real nice guy, former Colorado Avalanche player. Man, I just love the stories that these guys tell. It really takes you, like, you know, behind the scenes of everything you see in he's sports a, media. He's a very humble guy, um, and, you know, he didn't want to talk too much about uh,
2: about. Stats, I, you know, most guys don't. But, I mean, this guy was a great stay-at-home defenseman. Yeah. I mean, look at his plus-minus, not to get too statty with people, but um, just a great stay-at-home defenseman and, uh, you know, rock, rock solid, uh, you know, AHL player, got his time in the, in the NHL and um, didn't want to ask him, but uh, maybe next time we'll have him on. A, you know, uh, I remember Darren Banks talking a little bit about when you're an AHL player, getting the call up if you're that two-way contracted player it's hard to stay in the nhl and you know that one-way player is always going to stay on the team and not be sent down so it's it's it was really I think a, a rough time when you're undrafted like aaron and right and you make it and you probably if you were drafted or you know whatever circumstances be you might have played a little bit more but the fact to grind it out and being undrafted. We've had a few of our guests that have done that. Right. Uh, my hat's off. That's paying your dues
0: and really, really working hard. Absolutely. And I feel like that's uh something that we want to bring to our listeners, you know, from this podcast show. And, you know, we're not just going after obviously, which you know, it's not like we get a ton of NHL super you know, former superstars or anything, but we want to highlight the guys that have grinded and worked hard, whether or not they made it to the NHL and you know, I think that this is just a good example of an undrafted guy who just kept grinding, grinding. Was able to do something that many of us cannot say that we did was play an NHL game. And he keeps saying he's small. I think he's six foot, six foot one.
2: I mean, he looks like a really big guy on Zoom. Yeah, and we're not tall guys, but yeah, he. he I
0: mean, he, he's he's still in great shape. Well, it's crazy when a guy like that says something like that. I mean, imagine the other guys then that he's playing against. I mean, they must just feel you know? bigger than yeah so, so
2: we really i guess can't understand what it's like to play at that nhl level of, like you said some guys you can't even move their stick they're right. so strong but that's why
0: they have the nhl and now dad just because it's so controversial let's spend dad? just you know two or three minutes talking about it yeah um, the wilson thing yeah so so, so let's start with, obviously there's two parts of it right he got fined for the roughing to bunkovich the first one where he had the yeah. stick and, and punched him but then people are more outraged about the Panarin situation. So before I tell you my spiel, tell me what you think. Well, I have some people, first of all, there's just Tom Wilson haters.
2: I'm not one of them, but I think the guy, uh, I said before, he's got a switch and when that switch goes off, he can't turn it off. And I think he doesn't really know uh, his, his strength when he goes kind of, berserk he can really hurt people i don't think there was much wrong i don't think he should have been suspended um the only time i think he should be suspended if panarin's head was crushed into the ice and i don't know i've seen some video people say his head didn't touch the ice i've seen one video clip where i think his head bounced off the ice that's what
0: i thought i saw too
2: but it's sort of i i can't get a definite finding on whether or not his head so if his head was you know slammed into the ice then i think that's a suspension but if not i mean is tom william you know he's it's wilson being wilson so i i i I don't i don't know i think that's all going to depend on did panarin's head
0: hit the ice because other than that it it was a scrum well and that's the problem is you know it, it really is such a gray area you know obviously there are a lot of, you know, of people shaming each other and for their opinions on on Twitter about it. And while, you know, we may not think that Wilson has the utmost respect and integrity for other players on the ice or that, you know, he does need to just, you know, I mean, he's going after a defenseless player, you know, he's being a bully, but I think that there is a lot of bias towards Wilson in this. And, And how many times have we seen heads? Against, it, not, not saying that it, should be If okay, it wasn't but, Panarin, would it have made a difference? Well, and that's what somebody else had mentioned too. And let's not forget this. I remember just off the top of my head, you know, Sam Samuel Morin of the Flyers. He fought Lemieux before Lemieux was traded, and he had grabbed his hair during the fight and slammed his head on the ice, and sure. and, and nobody said anything about that. So I think there's just if some you're bias. If, if you're
2: the owner of new york rangers and you're paying somebody millions of dollars i can see why the management now whether or not they uh and we found out by the way too that Recently, the yeah. that the president and general manager didn't buy didn't yeah. didn't Approved send that a, message. didn't approve that message didn't really know about it they've been fired today but if i'm the owner you've got to protect and you've got to say to the nhl you got to say to Batman hey you know i can't have you know this happen to my superstar
0: so then, what do you call for suspension? Because I thought you said you, you didn't want. Well, to.
2: see, and that's it. It depends on what perspective you're you're coming from. And I think if I'm an owner paying somebody seven, eight, nine million dollars a year, yeah, I need a return on my investment because he's being paid whether he's injured or, or, or playing. Right. So I I understand it because it just comes down to money at this point. Right. Um, you don't want to have that. If that
0: was a fourth line guy, I don't think that would be having this conversation. Right. And, you know, it's a physical game, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, w- would say, okay, so what happened if he did that to Pashenov? Well, let's not forget, like you said, although Panarin was sticking up for a teammate, he did jump on his back, which is going to warrant I mean, he's going to ch- – now, listen to this, though. Just listen. So, somebody will say, well, what if they did that to your precious Pashenov? Well, here's the thing. Remember last season, Dad, you know, Tom Wilson cross-checking him. And turned around and punches him in the face with his glove on. And then Wilson proceeded to beat his head into the ice. I mean, do you not remember that big scrum? Sure, sure. So it's like he did do it to him, but Pashenak did punch. I mean, what do you kind of expect? And it is a like you said that switch. I mean, Panarin
2: jumped on his back, like Aaron said. I mean, and you know, you don't jump on Tom Wilson's back. Do
0: you think though, as a repeat offender, that should have warranted a suspension simply because of that? Because that was some other people's argument i mean i want to stay
2: out of it but i'm leaning towards that it was not a suspendable offense if his head didn't get bounced off the ice right. if, if it did then that's clearly
0: you know and obviously people open arms because I, panarin I, is injured but it wasn't i don't, wasn't a head I don't injury.
2: think wilson well i don't know maybe i don't know maybe i shouldn't speak wilson was trying to get his helmet off, and he did so I don't know. Maybe I changed my mind. I'm, I'm running it through my head as we talk. It. Well, it's difficult. And Wilson producers. wanted that helmet off Panera.
0: Of Panarin. Well, and also, too, I don't know if you so, saw I, in one I of the camera know. angles, he definitely pulled Panarin's hair, too, which is a bitch move by Wilson. Yeah, and,
2: but, you know, we're looking at it as in slow motion. Right. Well, that thing happened in a split second. Right. But anyway, that's what us fans like to talk about and bitch about and disagree about. about it, yep. um, but, You know, like, uh, you know, David, you know, Linger talked about um, on his teams. If that happened, then someone was going to go up against Wilson the next shift. And it would be more than one person. And if if Wilson beats that guy, there's another guy waiting. Yeah. And the Rangers didn't have that. I didn't watch the third period. I was watching the Bruins, I think. And uh, nobody stepped up, did they? No, no, not one person so you know that's why tonight i'm sure you know tonight's that get that game so yep. when you're listening to this it might be actually a week or two late because yeah. we've got some episodes that are kind of backing up we've had some guests we try to release once a week but we should wrap this up andrew because we get a game to watch yeah absolutely All righty. well check us out apple Podcasts. give us a five-star rating we're everywhere else uh We've got uh, some great guests coming up as well, and we hope that you tune in. Absolutely, have a wonderful day, guys. Thank you oh, for tuning in. And we should mention this too: we're starting to get some some uh, subscriber listeners yep. all over the the world, over in England, yep, and uh, in and in uh, Central Europe. So uh, you know, welcome. Hopefully, you get a translator, or maybe they're just North American guys yep. <laughs> listening to an hockey podcast. Yep. But I want to give a shout out to them as well. All righty. Have a great night. Bye-bye.